Father, we praise you that you meet and supply our every need. And that, Jesus, in you, we can rest. We can have peace. We can live the lives that we were created to live. We praise you for that. And I pray that that would be the reality of our lives. I pray that you would teach us how we can do that. Open our hearts and minds now as we open your word. May we hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, and we do have a children's church, so kids aged four to seven in that range, if you would like to go with Mrs. Schindler, you can go. Imagine having a job that you are totally unqualified for. Imagine showing up to work every day. <laughs> Is that hard for some of you to imagine? I hope. Uh, but imagine showing up to work every day and just feeling like you have no idea what you're doing. And your boss gives you an assignment and you try to do your best and at the end of the day you hand your assignment to your boss and he just looks at you and he kind of goes like, oh my, what is that? And, and imagine your boss just getting mad at you constantly because you're not living up to his standards. I was trying to think, what kind of a job would that be for me? And I, I thought it would probably have to do something with art. So I was like, what if I worked at Hallmark and my job was to draw pretty little pictures of girls giving flowers to their mom. And, and at the end of the day, I hand this card to my boss, and he's just like, what are you doing, Ugarud? What? Uh-huh. Unfortunately, that is the way that some Christians view their walk with God. Thinking to themselves, I'm just not good enough. There's no possible way that I can measure up to his standard, and he's probably mad at me for how many times I have messed up. Now, the truth is, we are called to a high calling. Make no mistake about it. There are some very serious things that the Bible says that we are to do. We're to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're to make disciples. These are not easy tasks. And in light of that, I can see why we might feel inadequate. I can see why we might say something like, well, I'm no Billy Graham, so what's the point in even trying? What would stop you from walking with God? What would it be that might just cause you to throw your hands up in the air and say, I, I don't know if I can do this? Do you ever feel unqualified for the task? Or like you fail more often than not? Do you ever feel like God's upset with you because of how you're doing in your walk with God? Well, there are two sides to the story. On, on the one hand, the Christian life is impossible on our own. We can't do it. It's not something that we were created to be able to do in our own power. But on the other hand, God gives us what we need to live the life that he has called us to live. The last two Sundays I've mentioned the verse in Galatians 2.20 that says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the Easter message. The message that Jesus died for our sins. He took our penalty upon himself so that we could be completely forgiven and so that we could have eternal life with him. But that verse in Galatians goes beyond just merely telling the historical facts of what happened at Easter, and it goes on to tell us that, that we actually died with him, that in some very real way, Jesus' death on the cross was our death. 
And what that means then is that we have a new life to live in Christ so that every day of our lives we are called by God into newness of life that we are to walk with him by faith, not trusting in our own power, but trusting in the power that he supplies for us. So what I want to do today, and I like to do this every year after Easter, we we go through all that wonderful stuff of Palm Sunday and Easter and the He is alive, hooray, rejoice. But then I, I feel like there's this, now what? He's alive, now what? And what I want to talk about today is the now what of living daily, each day with Christ, so that Easter isn't merely a day on our calendar, that we don't just look ahead to the next Easter to celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive, but that every day of our lives we live in that newness of life that he brings to us. Because Christianity isn't about us first measuring up to some standard and then God saying, okay, you've done pretty good, I'll, I'll accept you now. Christianity is about the fact that we are weak and sinful people in need of a Savior. So we go to the cross to get our forgiveness. We go to the cross to get eternal life. But what we also receive at the cross is a new life to live. And it's not a life that we live in our own power. It's a life where we constantly trust in God. And it's a high calling. And it is a difficult job. Those things that God calls us to do are not easy to do. It takes constant faith on our part, constant trust in God that he will give us what we need. And that's where we can start to feel inadequate, where we can start to feel like we don't really get it, or we don't really do as well at it as we should. So how do we live the Christian life? We live it in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Let me repeat that, because we did the Easter thing last week and it's kind of easy to, to think of resurrection as something that we celebrate at Easter. But we live our Christian life daily in the resurrection power of Christ. Galatians 2.20 I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In Ephesians 1, Paul prayed something for believers. And I've I've preached on this passage before here, but it's a wonderful passage. There are three things that he prayed in Ephesians 1 that the believers would, would grasp, would know. And the third thing that he prayed that they would know is God's incomparably great power for us who believe. That's Ephesians 1, 19. And Paul goes on to explain what kind of power that is. In 19 and 20, he says, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. I want you to see this. God gives us the power, incomparably great power, for us to live the lives that he has called us to live. What kind of power? It's according to the same exact power that God used when he raised Christ from the dead. Do you think that that power is insufficient for anything that you will face in your day? I can't think of anything more powerful, and it's according to that exact same power that we can draw from in our daily lives. That's why Paul prayed, I want you to know his incomparably great power for us who believe. I want you to know this because you have access to it in your daily life. So let's take a look at our scenario again. We feel inadequate to live the lives that we're called to live. I'm no Billy Graham. I'm no spiritual superstar. So what's the point in even trying? Well, the answer is that 
God's power at work in us enables us to live the lives we are called to live. So what I want to do today is I want to walk you through how that can actually happen in our lives on a daily basis. And I want to emphasize the word daily there. (coughs) And I also want to take a drink of water. By the way, I told uh, Smith back there to be on the ready in case I need to hack up a lung to turn my microphone down. (laughs) I I gave a message at the college on Thursday and I I pretty much coughed my way through the last half of it. I'm feeling better now, but... uh, Okay, living this sort of life on a daily basis. Jesus gave us a clue about how we live the Christian life in what we call the Lord's Prayer. It's the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. Remember what he said in there? Give us today our lifelong supply of bread. No, (laughs) our daily bread. We, We don't get it dump trucked on us in huge quantities that we're supposed to ration out for the rest of our life. We get God's power, God's presence on a, on a daily basis in our lives. Not every cliche rings true. Um, I was thinking about this. Like the cliche, he puts his pants on one leg at a time. Sometimes I sit down in my bed and I put them on two legs at a time. Does that make me weird? But, um, but the cliche, take it one day at a time, that's actually really good advice. And that's actually really spiritual advice. And I want to show you an Old Testament passage now that teaches us the power that we have on a daily basis that comes from God. It comes from Lamentations 3, verses 21 through 24. These will probably be pretty familiar verses to you, although what's probably much less familiar to you is the context of Lamentations 3. Lamentations, you know what the word lament means, right? It means crying out. It means despair. The, the Israelites were in exile. Because of their great sin that they had committed, God sent an invading army to capture them and to carry them away into exile. And the first two and a half chapters of Lamentations are are the author crying out in his pain because of the anguish that he is facing every day in captivity. But for some reason, right in the middle of chapter 3, he breaks into hope. He remembers how good God is and God's strength for him. God's people had failed. I don't like to use the word fail because it seems so final, but I think it's an appropriate word to use when talking about this time in history. God's people had failed. They had not followed him the way that they should have. And God punished them, and he brought them into exile. But even there they hoped in God. And I want to read for you now verses 21 through 24, chapter 3. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. This section is bookended with hope. And in NIV, that word wait in verse 24 is the same word for hope. So 21 and 24 both have the word hope in there. And the first thing that I want you to see about how we live daily for God is that we can have hope in him, trusting that he is good. Hope is a powerful thing. Hope strengthens us to keep going. There was an experiment done, kind of a a sadistic experiment done with rats that had to do with hope. Maybe you've heard this one, but scientists, and and these were scientists, these weren't just like, you know, 12-year-old kids. These were scientists. They took rats and they put them in buckets of water to drown them. 
Half of the rats, they just left them there to drown and saw how long it would take for them to drown. The other half of those rats, they put them in the water, and then after a short time, they picked them up out of the water and put them back in, thus instilling some sense of hope in these rats that there might be somebody there to lovingly take them out of the water again. Now, again, kind of sadistic, because after that, the scientists just left them back in the water until they would drown again. But the, the amazing thing was about this experiment is that that first group of rats, the ones that had no hope of being rescued, they died almost immediately. But that second group of rats that thought maybe, just maybe, somebody was going to rescue them, they struggled and struggled and struggled for a long time before they eventually drowned. But now that's an experiment that talked about a hope that wasn't even really a good hope. They, they had no reason to hope that they would live. But even that little bit of hope that they did have kept them going. How much more for us then who have the sure hope of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection for us, the hope of eternal life, how much more do we have hope to keep going? So even though we feel like we might be struggling and drowning, we know that God is there for us, that his compassions never fail, that he loves us, and that he can get us out and has promised to deliver us eternally. Okay, that's hope. The next part of Lamentations 3 I want to point out is God's love. It says there, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Some of your verses might, might say something about the, the Lord's love endures forever. I think too often we carry around with us this idea that we mess up far too much for God's liking and he's just mad at us. Certainly the Israelites could have thought those thoughts in this time that they had messed it up and God was mad at them and he was just going to punish them. And there is some truth in that. We are sinners and we do offend God, but God has better things in mind for us than destroying us. Why? Because he loves us. And I, I wish that we could just let this sink in because far too often we, when we sin, when we mess up, we just think, oh, God's going to be so ticked off at me. He's probably just going to, you know, turn his presence away from me forever now. Because I've messed it up. But God loves us more than that. And the word for love here is that wonderful Hebrew word chesed. That, that word, if you're going to say it right, you have to say it from the back of your throat. And I, I'll try not to say it too much because I'm a little bit sick here and stuff like... <laughs> yeah, you, you get the point. But, but if you want to stump a pastor... Ask him what the word hesed means. It's the Hebrew word that we might translate as love, but it means so much more than that. How do you describe God's love? You should try it sometime. Not with me, but with some other pastor you know. How do you describe God's love? Well, listen to how the Bible tries to describe it. In Psalm 103, it says God's love is as high as the heavens. In Psalm 63, it's better than life. And at least 35 times in the Psalms, it says that God's love endures forever. So how do you describe something that's as high as the heavens, that's better than life, and endures forever? I, I don't really know. But, but what I do know is that God's love is way better than we think it is. This is God's great love for his children. It's, this word said has also been described as God's covenant love. It's the love that he shows for his people, for his children. That means for us in the new covenant, for us who have received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, it means that he loves us because he loves us. 
He loves us not because we've done something nice for him. It's not a mutual back-scratching sort of love where if I scratch God's back, then he'll scratch my back. It's the sort of love where he loves us because he is love, not because of what we've done. So if you think that you can't walk with God because of some weakness of yours or because of some sin that you've committed either 20 years ago or just yesterday, I want you to see God's great love for you. And because of his love for us, we are not consumed. He has much better plans for us. God, in his justice, could strike us down when we mess up, but he doesn't because he loves us. Next part of Lamentations 3 I want to point out is God's compassion. In verse 22 it says, For his compassions never fail. Compassion is the kindness shown by someone who either has the power to save or to destroy. And and to use another analogy, and I don't know why I'm so fixated on on rodent death today, but uh, it will help you understand it. (laughs) Picture yourself driving down the street, and out of the corner of your eye you see a squirrel. You know, doing its thing, finding an acorn, burying it, and then all of a sudden, just as you're driving up, without looking, that squirrel just darts across the street, and if you don't do anything, you're going to squash it. Do you have compassion on that squirrel? Do you swerve to miss it or slow down? Or, or do you swerve to hit it? Um, but when you're the driver of the car, you have the, uh, the power to either save or destroy. What do you do? Well, we are far too often like that squirrel. We're just going about our business and we just blindly run off into danger. Run off into sin. How does God respond towards us? With compassion. He wants what's best for us. Just like he wanted his children in exile to have hope, he told them ahead of time that he would bring them out so also God wants us to have hope in his compassion. Hope that he will be good to us. And that he doesn't just simply want to destroy us because of our sin. How do we know this? Because of Jesus. We know God's compassion because of Jesus. It's interesting to me that during the time of lamentations, the Israelites sinned and they faced punishment for it. They did something wrong, they were punished. But let's look at our situation. We sinned, and who took our punishment? Jesus did. I went through that verse last week in Isaiah 53 where the pronouns are so wonderfully mixed up. It said, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. We sinned, we messed up, Yet the one who took our punishment was someone else who loves us very much and has compassion for us and wants what's best for us. That's God's compassion. Thanks be to God for his mercy to us shown in Jesus Christ. In Lamentations, there was this ray of hope that God would deliver. It's that same compassion of God that compelled him to send his son Jesus to take care of our sin problem. Okay, then we get to verse 23 where it says, they are new every morning. What is the they in that verse? It's God's love 
and his compassion that are new every morning. And this is the part of the passage that has been especially meaningful to me lately. And this is why I wanted to preach from this passage of scripture. Because, again, we could go through life assuming that God has mad at us for how many times we have messed up. Even consider the sins that you committed yesterday. The things that you did or the things that you didn't do that you should have done. We could assume that God is up there just saying, oh, you did it again. I can't believe what you did again. It can be easy for us to assume that God is upset. And certainly, like I said, the Israelites could have assumed that God was upset with them. Yet what does Scripture say? It says that God's love and compassion are new every morning. If I feel like I'm a second-rate Christian and I don't measure up to those spiritual superstars or if I've sinned far more than I should have, what I need to remind myself is that God's love and compassion are new for me, a full helping of them every morning. Think about that. If God gives you that every morning, his love and his compassion, what else do you need? What could stop you from walking with Christ if you have been given that sort of love and compassion every morning? Why wouldn't we be able to live the lives he's calling us to if he gives us that? And then look at what the next line says. Great is your faithfulness. God is the faithful God. He does all that we need Him to do. He has never broken any of His promises. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, this wonderful verse, it says, The one who calls you is faithful, and He will do it. What's it talking about that He'll do? In those verses, it's talking about Him making us holy and blameless. God is faithful. He will do it. This should all give us hope. Remember, this this passage is bookended with hope. It's a terrible situation that the people were in, yet they could have hope because of God's great love and compassion and faithfulness for them. One more quick word on hope. In Psalm 130, verse 5, it says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in His word I put my hope. In His word I put my hope. We get hope from God's word. In In a previous sermon, a couple of months ago, I made the connection between manna that was given daily for the Israelites and God's word, which is our daily bread. If God wants to give us this love and compassion and faithfulness every morning and that we're to get hope from it, one of the ways that we can experience those things is by reading his word. His word teaches us about the hope that he wants us to have. So if you want that sort of hope, if you want to know it, I'd highly recommend that you get in the habit of reading God's word every day and drilling that hope deep down into your soul. We can have hope because God is a God of love, compassion, and faithfulness. One of the famous famous and most important verses in the Old Testament is Exodus 34, 6. You might remember this one. It's when Moses went up to the mountaintop and he asked to see God. And God revealed himself to Moses. And Specifically, God revealed himself with this name. He, he called himself the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. This is who God is. It's who he's always been. It's who he is every day. He's the God of love, compassion, and faithfulness. 
Even in the Old Testament, we see God giving his people what they needed every day. But it gets even better for us in the New Testament. I want to fast forward now to two verses in the New Testament and show you how it gets even better. Because the teaching of the New Testament is that those of us who have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior have also received the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit helps us on a daily basis. Galatians 5.24-25 says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Again, that's Easter. Jesus died for us, and in a very real way, we died with him and live a new life with him. Then Galatians 5.25 says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. In this new life that God is calling us to live, he has given us the Holy Spirit to guide us and to empower us. Now, you can respond to that by saying, yeah, yeah, I know that. I've, I've heard that many times. It's a wonderful truth of the Bible. Great. But, but I want you to think about this from a fresh pr- perspective again. God, the Holy Spirit, dwells in you to guide you and to empower you into the life God has called you to live. That's why Jesus said we're not left as orphans. Because we have been given everything that we need. Not only do we have God's love and compassion new every morning, we also have the Holy Spirit living in us to guide us and to empower us. The next time you feel like you are unqualified to live the life that God has called you to live, I want you to remember that God gave you the Holy Spirit precisely so that you can live the life God has called you to live. That's why Jesus taught us in Luke 11:13, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now allow me to get a little bit personal here. If you are not living the life that God has called you to live, it's not his fault. Every morning, he gives us a full measure of love and compassion. He promises the Holy Spirit for his children who would seek him. And it's not like Billy Graham has some special access to those that we don't have. This is true for any of God's children. He gives us his love, compassion, and faithfulness every day and desires to fill us with the Holy Spirit. What it is, is that we need to trust daily in God to give us these things. According to Ephesians 2.10, God has prepared good works for us to walk around in. That's true for Billy Graham, and it's true for you. We can do these good works if we draw on his power. That's why, I think, as I said at the beginning, Paul prayed that we would know about this power. We have this amazing power source for our lives if we would simply plug into it. We have resurrection power according to the power that raised Jesus from the dead at work in us if we would walk by faith. (coughs) And starting today, we can all do this. Every single one of us here. Why? Because we're spiritual superstars? No. Because this is true for any of God's children. It does take effort on our part, though. We need to choose to live this kind of life. 2 Corinthians 5.15, I think this one is in your bulletin, talking about Jesus, says, He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. 
I want to reread that verse and I want to emphasize the word should. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. We have a choice to make and it has to do with following the Holy Spirit. Going back to Galatians 5.25 it says we are to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to keep in step with the Holy Spirit? Well it implies that he's leading us it would be impossible to keep in step with him if he weren't also stepping. So he is, he's leading us on this path that God has called us to live. And our goal then is to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to keep in step with the Holy Spirit? Well, it takes effort. It, it's not an easy task. It, it takes a choice on our part, a commitment. It means that we should be in continual prayer. It means that we should be listening to God's word and again, that's important because who is the author of God's word? Yes, there were 40-some human authors, but the Holy Spirit superintended the whole process. The Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture. Think about that then. The same God who wrote Scripture also lives where? In us. He will teach us what His word means. So as we commit to getting to know God's word, God will guide us into what's right. It means that throughout our day we should be in tune with God to see how it is that he wants us to live. And if we do that, what a life we can live. Remember, God gives us all that we need. It, it might seem difficult if we think about it all at once or if we fixate on our sins and assume that we can never get past them. But that's why we take it one day at a time. And God will give us what we need today. His resurrection power won't run out. Our sin doesn't mean that we're disqualified from the race. Our sin simply means that we need to turn from our sin and to follow Him into what's right. So what does God have for you today? Well, I can't answer that. But I do know that it's a life full of blessing. What does tomorrow hold? I don't know, but I do know this. If you wake up tomorrow, there will be a fresh helping of God's love and compassion for you, and the Holy Spirit will long to guide you into what's right. Here's my big idea as we conclude. Every day, we can walk with power in the life God is calling us to live. Every day, we can walk with power in the life God is calling us to live doesn't feel like that. When, when we wake up, maybe some of you just spring right out of bed and, yes, I'm ready for the day. Not me. I don't feel power when I first wake up, usually. But what I'm, what I'm learning from this scripture is that God will give me everything that I need every day to walk with him in the life that he is calling me to live. Now, in one sense, our lives feel very normal. We get up, we eat, we go to work or we go to school, we eat again, Maybe we watch some TV or play some games and we go to bed. But on another level, God has wonderful things all throughout our day lined up for us to walk around in. And I want you to see that. I want you to see what God has for you. I want you to see that it's not something that you can do on your own either. I want you to see that it's something that we do with this life for God as we stay in close contact with Him. We have the Holy Spirit we have the hope that comes from a God who loves us 
and has compassion for us and is faithful to us. So every day we can walk with power in the life God is calling us to live, but it's your choice. So my final question for you is, should be a simple one by now, do you want to live your life in your own power or in the power that God promises to give you? Would you pray with me? Father, of course we want to live our lives in the power that you promised to give us. We praise you that you have promised this to us, that you sent Jesus to die for our sins, that we might be made clean, that we might have new life, that you give us the Holy Spirit to guide us in this new life, and that your love and compassion are new every morning. What a wonderful thing, God. We thank you and we praise you that you don't hold a grudge against us, but that you want what's best for us, and you want us to live by faith today so that we can walk into newness of life and the life that you've called us to live. May we live that sort of a life where we keep in constant contact with you, where we love you and follow you and honor you and glorify you. Lord, do this in us, we pray, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. (coughs) I invite you to stand as we sing our next song, Great is Thy Faithfulness.